This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a fan favorite, Mr. Tom. Oh, sorry. Professor, Dr. Doctor, Tom Davidoff. Dr. Tom Davidoff. Dr. Tom Davidoff. The doctor the U- is in. Yeah, the doctor's in. UBC Solder School of Business Associate Professor Tom Davidoff is back. I think he's been, this might be his fifth time. He's One a of our favorite guests, guests and a fa- definitely a fan favorite and yeah. tons of useful information on this episode just covering a lot of ground. Yeah, we're freewheeling here. We're talking politics, policy, market, market. predictions, yeah. everything you can think of. Yeah. It's covered. Yeah, it's great. So look forward to that. But before we get to that, Matt, how was your week? What's new, in, what's new with you? You're, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm you're dealing with your cat is what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, no, it was good. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. That was the long weekend. Right. Very right. nice. You and I were in Kelowna. We did a we did a trip. We did a road trip. A road we trip don't spend Kelowna. enough time together. We realized, so we thought we'd drive to Kelowna, <laughs> yeah. not for Thanksgiving, but uh, to take care of some other business. Right. And um, yeah, it was eventful both ways. I'd say. Yeah. Well, actually, this podcast almost ended abruptly twice. Yeah. Uh, first time because. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, death. on the way there, it was not so much fear of dying as fear of, uh, well, maybe dying because we'd never get there. I mean, well, yeah. you picked me up with I, what a quarter tank, maybe a little less than quarter I, tank. It was really early in the morning. It was six a.m. I didn't really <laughs> check the how much gas I had before we left. <laughs> you mentioned we might get gas on the way out of town, which we never not. happened. We did get coffee though yeah. beside a gas station. Um, <laughs> Um, 
cut to uh cut to you and i like coasting on fumes into merit it was literally when you hit the empty we were like 75 80 kilometers from the nearest gas station it Just was anxiety ridden yeah so it was really it was a pleasant drive and then on the way back we almost died because uh, a monsoon hit uh, the coca the coca <laughs> when it's sheeting rain in the at nine at night is potentially the scariest it's thing the worst. I've ever... It's the worst. I hate the coca Hall. Yeah. It's the worst. And but... totally unpredictable. I mean, we were driving in like la-da-da, and then you're in this three hours of, of nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it yeah. was scary. It was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, Super. But anyway, yeah, moving forward. Yeah. So one thing, yeah, quickly, I just want to thank everybody for reaching out to us. We had an episode last week. Cash flow is not always king, where we talked about uh, revenue. Yeah, that, a lot of people found that really useful, it sounds like. Yeah, well, a lot of people reached out. So thank you so much for reaching out. And uh, we love to hear about what people are investing in and, and talking about. What they're about, thinking of investing in. And just talking about real estate in general. So feel free to get in touch anytime. Uh, we love to hear from you. And like we always say, we've got the savviest real estate listeners out there. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's for sure. really, really happy to be a part of this community. Um, Matt, we also got the listing promotion. Yeah, we got that listings promotion going to the end of 2017 get in touch with adam or myself we'll come out give you a free market evaluation a custom marketing plan get you top dollar and there's a little bit of an incentive there as well absolutely it always sounds creepy when you say that but i agree (laughs) uh so no it's 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 a great promotion get in touch we'd be we'd love to work with you and uh we've had some huge successes with with recent listings yeah Um, huge huge get in touch and learn more about that but Matt, why don't we just? Uh, well, we've got a long interview with Tom. Yeah, today. I mean, hey, hey, let's let's get to the the start of the show here. Absolutely, Mister Doctor Tom Davidoff. Enjoy. Okay, so we're back with uh, Tom Davidoff, UBC Associate Professor with the Sauter School of Business. How are you doing, Tom? Hey, Tom. Doing well, thank you very much. You guys. Thank you for uh, coming back on. We yeah, really we're doing we're it. doing great. Uh, so, hey, Tom. So maybe we'll start off by just uh, you know, it, it seems like we're in the Q four here, uh, winding down for twenty seventeen. Just wanted to get some general thoughts on on the year it's been in the Vancouver real estate market. Yeah, something happened in the condo market. I think that's the story. Everybody at the beginning of the year that I knew of was forecasting something like a five percent overall drop in prices. You know, people were. 10, maybe two in that range. But that's the forecasts I saw. I didn't see anybody say the condo market's going to go nuts. And I don't know what we're up for the year, but, you know, well into double digits, I think, certainly north of 20% quality adjusted, which is really striking. I think a lot of people thought the market had gotten as far as it was going to go and was facing some headwinds. And here we are. Right, right. What do you think, Tom? I mean, we've said on this podcast a bunch that this year's really a tale of two markets, right? That that single family homes are are generally pretty slow, and condos and townhomes are so active, and and the gap between those two uh, doesn't make as much sense as it as it historically has. Like, do you have an explanation for that? Well, obviously, some people would point to uh, you know tax policy changes. Obviously, foreign buyer could have been significant. Uh, you know, single-family prices really are beyond local incomes, uh, and uh, condo, as you say, is catching up and sort of getting to that point. But obviously, there's still uh, bidding wars for product. Last I heard, generally, it may have just been affordability catch-up. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thought would be the pre-sale market is so hot. It would make a lot of sense that uh, foreign demand would shift from single-family homes to pre-sales, mm-hmm. uh, given the ability to defer the tax until completion. Uh, and, but then you have to tell some story where pre-sales are a pretty good substitute for completed units. And you guys who are on the ground would have better insight than I would as to, to the extent to which you have a guy looking for a property a millennial and says, well, you know what? I, I can't uh, get the product I want today. I'll, I'll do a pre-sale. I don't know if that happens, but if it does, that would be one explanation. No, I mean, I think in my experience, it's actually the opposite, right? We have a lot of people come to us and say, hey, I'm looking for a pre-sale. And then they mm-hmm. find out what the prices are, how long it actually takes uh, for a building to be completed. You know, the fact that they're going to be renting, say, if they buy concrete for the next two and a half, three years, and uh, and they start looking at resale properties or assignments assignments seems to be you know mainly locals are the people i've helped buy assignments that's for sure interesting yeah and i wonder sometimes if we're if the pre-sale conversation is a bit of a distraction in the affordability debate just because the the prices for the pre-sales are so astronomically high so i guess there's a correlation there between you know if pre-sales are selling at a certain price per square foot then it it sets a precedent for the resale market to you know, to increase in value or to catch up, right? Which is which is part of it. But there seems to be a lot of noise around. Obviously, Gregor just came out with this locals first initiative for pre-sales. And uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, is that do you, do you see it as good policy? Well, I don't know that it hurts anything. Maybe you have some people. I guess ideally, say forget it. I'm, I'm going to do this building I have permitted, but I'm going to do it rental because it's going to be such a hassle to do condos. And I think a lot of people think more purpose-built rentals would be a healthy thing for the market. But I don't think there'll be a lot of impact for a few reasons. First of all, they tried this in West Van. There was a locals-only period of a number of months. Right. The locals didn't bite, and the building got <laughs> sold anyway. You know, with interest rates as low as they are, maybe this lockout period where you have to sell to locals, if you just ignore it and just don't sell any condos in that period, and I don't think that would happen. I think there's locals who would buy. But even if you just bailed on the locals for a couple of months, you're looking at maybe 2% interest costs to delay as opposed to, you know, are you going to take a 10% cut on price just to to make those two months up of interest? I don't think so. So I, I don't see how unless it's a very long lockout or perpetual lockout period, how it could even possibly affect pricing. Another point I think is really important to make, and I think we've discussed this before, you know, suppose you had a developer say, I'm going to equity fund this building. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my own money into the building. I'm not going to pre-sell the units at all. I'm going to get through the two or three years to go through development. And then I'm going to sell the units when they're built. I don't think anybody would kick and scream about how unfair that is and how the developer is speculating and locking locals out of the pre-sale period. I think they'd say, well, that makes sense. You build the building, then you sell it. Contrast that with, suppose you have a bunch of people who are speculators, buy pre-sale units looking to flip them before or at the moment the building's complete. Well, they've acted just like an equity investor in a construction project. They're not occupying the units when they're built. They're not taking up space. They're just providing financing for a development project. And yet somehow we have a huge problem with that kind of behavior, but wouldn't have a problem with the builder. So I think it's really misplaced. I think with the empty homes tax, hopefully uh, if the NDP gets moving on what we proposed, the BC Housing Affordability Fund, we say, you know, we're not going to encourage you to occupy built buildings 
without being a local taxpayer. That that makes sense. But saying you got to be a local to finance construction, I don't think makes a lot of sense at all. Yeah, uh, just two thoughts on that. I've always been struck by the fact that when you talk to somebody and explain what an assignment is, they have a huge issue, uh, you know, giving a lift or, or paying a profit to the person who essentially took the risk a couple of years ago. But if they were buying it straight from the developer um, for the exact same price, they'd have no there's no qualms about that, right? Like there's a, there is a strange disconnect and actually just got me thinking about there's a development downtown that I guess will uh, be left uh, nameless here mm-hmm. where the assignment fees have suddenly become 25% as opposed to one and a half or 3% because the developer is positioning themselves like a social justice warrior, uh, yeah. <laughs> which strikes that, that's me a pretty as, good, <laughs> as, that's a pretty good one. I imagine 25% is exactly the right cut where he makes the most money off the pre-sale assignments, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but doesn't but doesn't chase them away, right? If you went to an eighty percent tax, you know you'd be collecting a lot on each deal, but too few deals. Uh, I think that's a, a really uh, clever bit of marketing. My my hat is off to that. Uh, yeah, that no individual. kidding. The hand, the hand ringing right uh, around the assignments, uh, but uh, it, but you know that that might have been the billionaire partner of this nameless guy who uh, is a little bit more high profile in the development community, <laughs> right? You don't get to be a billionaire doing dumb stuff. <laughs> no kidding. So so you mentioned the NDP. Uh, Adam and I were curious. Uh, we were talking about you know topics to bring up with you, Tom about what's happened since the NDP has kind of took the reins provincially here. We were kind of expecting some sort of uh, policy shift or big splash. It doesn't seem like anything's happened uh, too much of note. What, what are your thoughts on on the NDP in power so far? Well, I really have to take them at their word. I've, you know, I, I was uh, able to uh, brief uh, some of the leadership on, on our thoughts about taxation and, and maybe routes to get to a little bit extra density. But, you know, what they've said is they're going through a lengthy consultation period. They don't want to screw up. And when they put policy in place, they want it to be sound policy. I think that makes sense. I mean, obviously, you know, they got elected by uh, largely uh, on the backs of people looking for action on housing affordability. And I think there are steps they can take on both the supply and demand side. But I think they want to be careful to implement something that doesn't make too many people upset. And I think they also do have to be careful. Obviously, this is a market with a lot of upside, but there's a lot of downside risk. And uh, should they put their thumb too heavily on the scale against home price appreciation, you know, with the rising interest rates, nobody's going to be happy. Well, some people will be happy, but a lot of people are going to be awfully unhappy if prices decline 30%. Uh, and I suspect they don't want to own something like that. Yeah, no kidding. So it sounds like you've been involved in the consultation process. In your mind, is the NDP, you know, are there more people in the room than, than the Liberals? Is that part of the, the kind of positive that you're seeing so far? Well, I will say uh, I we had the opportunity to brief uh, both the Liberals on our ideas. They They ultimately didn't go all the way towards what we had suggested in terms of taxation. You might see the foreign buyer tax as a sort of poor man's version of what we had proposed. You know, so I, I don't want to be too critical of the liberal decision-making process, but I do think uh, the NDP, from what I know, is doing pretty broad consultation. So, Tom, we've got an upcoming uh, city by-election, uh, and it, it, you know, it sounds like everybody's running on the platform of, of uh, affordability or housing in, in some measure, and it, it looks also like there's a lot of calls for densification. Um, do you have any thoughts on how, how this by-election might impact the city of Vancouver or affordability? 
Well, it's a great question. I guess the real impact, I think vision keeps its majority either way. I, I don't do a lot of counting, but I think no matter who wins, vision's still going to get to implement what they want to implement uh, through through the end of this term. Uh, the next citywide election, uh, maybe it signals voter interest. Uh, I saw one poll where Jean Swanson's polling very well, and uh, she is very big on weaken the demand side more than strengthen the supply side. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the candidates sounded in that direction. Uh, some people have talked about mass rezoning. Obviously, Bremner hints at it. You know, I think a lot of his his shtick is um, speed of approvals. Uh, as opposed to, you know, necessarily massively changing zoning. I moderated a debate, and uh, I don't think any of the candidates expressed a clear taste for, yeah, you know, single family on the west side doesn't make sense. We have to get a lot denser. Um, Whereas everybody, you know, I think is in support, except for Bremner in one way or the other, on some kind of increased taxation of empty units or high-value units. A lot of that policy choice, of course, lies with the province as much as with the city. So, you know, I, I think the impact of the election will be limited, but I'm, I'm very interested to see which way it goes. You know, uh, just for almost entertainment value uh, and, and interest, seeing a real lefty like uh, Gene Swanson win would be intriguing. And the mansion tax, right? That's right. Now, you know, importantly, Vision proposed that long ago. Uh, I think Mayor Robertson, I don't know when he first did it, but many years ago, he said uh, pr- progressive property taxation makes sense. It's not a radical idea. Reese Kesselman at Simon Fraser has been proposing that for some time. Uh, and I think one of the real side benefits, uh, you have some redistribution in it, but it also encourages owners of value valuable properties to want rezoning in their neighborhood. Uh, because, of course, $2 million properties are then taxed lower than one $2 million property. Right. Um, so, but, you know, that, that if the city asks, would the NDP give it? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, after all, Gregor uh, is on record, the mayor, uh, asking for progressive property taxation. The liberals didn't give it to him. I don't know if he's formally asked the NDP leadership for that authorization. What would you like to see come out of this election? Well, ideally, you know, I tried to get all the candidates to commit to serious, you know, I'm not talking about condo, tall condos, but I'd like to see somebody clever say, hey, we need more density on the west side, single family neighborhoods. We have a lot of the land in the city dedicated to a property type that is just not affordable to middle class or upper middle class or, you know, top 5% of income. And that just doesn't make sense. So that's one. I'd like to see somebody really articulate that we've got to transition the West Side to something affordable. Number two, I would be happy to see somebody, and and this is most of the candidates, who think we need some kind of tax reform. You know, when you have low property tax, high income tax in a city with tremendously high amenity and stability, uh, it's an invitation to long run unaffordability. Question for you about the West Side, um, you know, more density on the West Side, because I know Abundant Housing Vancouver had a a walking tour in West Point Grey. That area to me seems like the size of the properties and what you can build on them seems crazy. At the same time, that seems like, you know, is it symbolic focusing on the West Side here? That seems like the most challenging place to get more density. You know, I don't know. It's a good question. It's challenging politically, maybe, but I'm guessing the number of voters who would be angry about mass densification 
I don't know how big that number is. I, I'm guessing uh, some of these properties are owned by people who don't get around to voting in municipal elections. And and I think Canby provides a great example. And Ann McMullen, I have to say, of UDI, I was happy to see her move in this direction. There's a way to get to win, win, win. That is a win for the property developer, a win for the property owner, and affordability for the city. If you look at the Canby area, bleeding out you know the can be just extending that zone i i don't know of any homeowners who are upset to be in that rezoning mm-hmm. uh yeah their neighborhood's getting densified but they're making a fortune on the land lift so uh, you know the city gets its cut on the land lift uh, the local owner gets a massive increase in property value the only problem is they've got to leave it seems like in that neighborhood i just have not heard mass opposition from the owners uh who get zoned into that redevelopment mm-hmm. So I think there is a way to make it work politically. I don't know why it hasn't happened, right? I mean, the neighbors, I've heard them say they're willing to go to duplex or even something denser than that. I don't know why the city hasn't uh, extended the Canby model to more of the west side. Maybe you guys have some insight. I, I, I don't know. No, uh, <laughs> we don't have any insight into that. Uh, that's for sure. Um, maybe, maybe switching gears here a little bit, Tom. I was talking with a client of mine from Washington State who made two interesting points. One is he's a keen uh, student of the real estate market down there, and and he made the point that he understands it kind of cyclical. It makes a lot of sense. He's been watching Vancouver for a while and you know he said to me like it's just really hard to figure out what's going on where the market's headed and it made me think back to last January where we had you on and we all were making predictions that seemed to be uh looking back uh, you know out in left field essentially is Vancouver do you have that same sort of frustration with Vancouver in terms of understanding this market and where it's going well, yes, but I guess uh, I'd call it a vindication of basic economics, which is there's no free lunch. You know, uh, it's hard to short real estate, but if everybody knew prices were about to fall 20% in a year, they'd all sell their property. If everybody knew prices were going to rise 20%, prices would get bid up and prices wouldn't rise 20%. So you sort of have to think prices are going to be pretty unpredictable. Mm-hmm. What is true is there's a lot of uncertainty. You've got a market where it's very hard to add new supply. We're we're building a lot of condos now, but that's after, I don't know, 100% increases in prices over the years. So it takes a big increase in price to get new supply. That means prices are determined by what people are willing to pay. And that is a very, you know, the three of us, hopefully, who have some clue about what's going on, got it wrong at the beginning of the year. And so did everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think people's inability to predict price movements is actually a sign of a more or less healthy market. Interesting. So the other thing that the same client pointed out, he's involved in real estate in Washington. And I've heard this in a few different places. And I know you, you, at least academically, kind of focus primarily on the United States. He was saying that the market down where he is, is, is pretty frothy. It feels uh, very similar to 2006 in a lot of ways. Do you have any thoughts just generally on the, on the, the market down in the U S either in kind of localities or just generally speaking, are we, are we getting to a stage where there, there might be some correction coming down there? And then after you answer that, if there is a correction down there, how does that impact us up here? It's a great question. You know, generally speaking, I think if you look backwards in the States and probably even at Vancouver, there is a bit of a mystery of why prices didn't jump faster. You know, when did people clue in that the coastal areas are the place to be, the high amenity, 
sort of tech-heavy cities, and even more so in the states where a lot of the West Coast cities are highly productive, particularly L.A., Seattle, and San Francisco. Uh, I'm guessing if you look at cap rates historically there, they were always well in excess of mortgage rates, almost always. And, uh, you know, positive leverage that you can borrow for 30 years, lock in, get yield today. And, of course, rents are going to grow in, in, in nominal terms, in real terms. So I'm guessing cap rates are kind of hard to justify how, how high they've been. That is to say, why didn't prices catch up to the news that these are great markets sooner is an mm-hmm. interesting question. Maybe Vancouver is just caught up. Of course, you could argue things are crazy here, but it, but but really, we don't know the right return you ought to be getting on real estate as an asset class. Now, is it frothy in the States? Uh, you know, again, it, 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 I, I don't think you're far from positive leverage. That is, I think you can get net rents divided by price pretty close to the mortgage rate. And as long as you can do that in a coastal market, I think in the long run, you're going to do very well. What I don't think we have in the States, to my knowledge, is the non-prime lending run amok. That was really an interesting phenomenon. We're both investors and uh, low-income buyers without great credit histories were able to buy in uh, to the market in in the mid-2000s. And that really bumped prices a lot because the ability of people who were previously locked out to get into a market is usually an important driver of the real estate cycle. I don't think that ability to get credit very easily is there yet in the States. So I think the analogy to the mid-2000s, you know, maybe it's right in terms of the level of an intensity of demand, but in terms of um, people getting into the market who really maybe shouldn't be, I don't see that as a big issue in the States. Right. Is that because of better or smarter regulation, or is that just... I think securitization of non-prime lending died, and to my knowledge, it never uh, came back. Or if it's back, it's it's pretty moderated. You know, they originate to distribute people buying whatever mortgage-backed security they could get their hands on. I think people got burned and stayed away. We see that in commercial a lot, too. Just, you know, there's overbuilding of rental properties, both commercial and residential, in the 1980s. And it took a long time for uh, interest in, in commercial building. Uh, to come back, people get burned. Yeah, uh, independent of regulations, and you know that that those bad memories stay with people. Then you get a new generation of leaders who never saw the bad old days. Obviously, people running companies today uh, never saw you know ten percent interest rates. So you get a different mindset eventually. Interesting. Well, hey Tom, maybe we, just one last thought here on because uh, we're always asking you about your predictions for the local market here mm-hmm. in Vancouver before you go. Maybe we won't say all of 2018, but the next six months, uh, we know there's some changes coming from OSFI on mortgages. What What are your thoughts on the next six months here in the Vancouver real estate market? Well, it's certainly a risk. Uh, a uh, OSFI coming in with the stress test, I guess, on sub 80 percent. Uh, B, interest rates continuing possibly to rise. I don't know how much more room they have in the near term. C, the market's pretty hot. They could just on its own correct. D, policy from NDP possibly uh, cooling things off. And E, (laughs) uh, building starting to get complete as we started to get into 18, 19, and 20. So as these uh, formerly pre-sale buildings become resale buildings, knowing that there's a premium to pre-sales, is that going to uh, have an adverse impact on the market here? Trading off against that, uh, lots of immigration coming, uh, still very low interest rates, you know, so <laughs> those are pretty big counterweights. Again, I'm reluctant to uh, make a directional bet. 
I did earlier in the summer have a negative view. Uh, I've I've gotten beaten off a little bit. I've well, that's a bad expression. I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, I've gotten edit that. <laughs> this is this is a, a children's it's a family gotten, show. It's a family show. Yeah, yeah family here. I, I've gotten moved off of that position a little bit. You know, so I don't know if prices were the same for condos six months from now as they are today. I would be not at all surprised if they're five ten percent lower. I'd be. You know, I'd, I'd say I'm prepared to see that uh, bigger movements, you know, obviously they could keep rising. I mean, I, I don't you tell me, I think there's still bidding wars for condos. If there are, that's usually a sign that there's still room for prices to grow. So a lot of uncertainty over where we'll be. I'd have to see a move of more than 15 percent, either up or down to, to really bat an eyelash. Right. What, right. what do you got? But I but I got to hear from you guys because you guys are on the ground. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting right now. I think it's going to continue on. Uh, condos still seem to be really really busy in the lower price bands for sure. Kind of sub uh, eight hundred right now is where you're seeing you know four or five six seven offers on stuff still. Yeah, but it does mm-hmm. see, it does feel uh, and it it really comes down to the price band. But it does feel like things are kind of balancing out and that there's more opportunities for buyers and a bit more breathing room. So I think that's going to continue on for the rest of the year and. And, you know, I think there's probably going to be, if you're looking for detached houses, I think there's going to be some opportunities come December, uh, some real yeah. opportunities. Yeah, because stuff's sitting right now. Um, so. Yeah, exactly. You, you think people sort of uh, c- come to uh, Jesus as the year ends and say it's time to cut price? Well, I think that what realtor? happens is often it comes down to just having, I think what for sellers, it comes down to having tangible evidence. And when product starts moving at a discount rate because mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, yep. people that, that you know death divorce relocation all those things or people that are just sick of waiting and they want to get on with their life you know that tangible evidence allows for realtors to take that to other sellers and say look now here's an example of the house down the street selling for seven hundred thousand dollars less than what you think your house is worth right and especially if you've been sitting in a market through september october and some of november when it's you know the busier time and then you're you're into the depths of december and you're waiting for the second week of february likely <laughs> yeah, right yeah. when when things start to pick back up so yeah i mean it, it is interesting that way well maybe that we'll leave it there tom how can people find out more about you uh blogs.ubc.ca slash davidoff or of course they can follow me on twitter tom davidoff excellent thanks so much for your time again tom uh we always love uh, having you on and uh and our listeners do too that's for sure always a treat for me thanks guys So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Professor Tom Davidoff from the Sauter School of Business out at UBC. We always love having Tom on. It's always uh, enlightening. And uh, there's a reason he's a fan favorite. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's definitely a, a reason for that. I mean, you learn something new every time you talk to him. He can basically talk about anything and yeah. insightfully. Hugely, hugely appreciate uh, Tom coming back. Good friend of the program. For sure. So, Matt, we also uh, we want to get to uh, PCS because, you know, we, we still constantly have people signing up for PCS. And if, constantly getting positive feedback. Exactly. So if you want the best research tool out there for Vancouver real estate, go and sign up for private client services. You're going to get 
days on market. You're going to get sold prices. You're going to get listing updates about 36 to 72 hours before public MLS. Yeah. So don't wait for that lag. That lag is uh, not no, going to That lag's you. a killer. What do they say about PCS? Well, they say that uh, basically you're if you're not using PCS, Matt, you're standing still while everybody else is uh, gently walking by. And I, <laughs> that's I, I, trademarked. I, that's a, <laughs> that's a, do you think PCS is going to yeah. sue us? Yeah, yeah maybe another one us, of our yeah. branding coups. Yeah, exactly. But no, it, it, uh, it, it's it's amazing having PCS. You're, it's a world of difference. And our clients, we've had clients on it for 10 years, close to 10 years, seven or eight years. Yeah, I so, mean, I mean and one thing's and, for and sure. love it. We've tried others. It's the best. It is absolutely the best. So, um, Matt, uh, what else we got? Uh, that's, I'd say that's it. That's a wrap, man. Let's just, uh, let's just go out by me saying, get in touch with me at any point, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And I just want to also mention, we have a lot of exciting changes coming to our site. So go check out VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And also Braden will be back with us next week. Yeah. Is that right? I potentially. Oh, guy, I know. It's like guys six, like uh, six just read holiday. the four hour work week or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. what's, what's going on with this guy? He's working from a beach. Anyways, yeah. Braden, we'll see you next week. Hope, hope you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. Take care. Take care. 2000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs>